0: Welcome to Work Life Confidential with your host, Ken Dolan Delvecchio. Work Life Confidential gets to the heart of uncomfortable, sometimes taboo topics. Bosses and coworkers behaving badly, other workplace stresses, gender, race, money, and their effect on everything that happens at work and in your life outside of work. Together, we'll find the answers you've been looking for. Now, here is Ken Dolan Delvecchio.
1: Welcome to Work Life Confidential. I'm Ken Dolan Del Vecchio, and our show today is on pet loss, grief, and healing. It's a topic that is very close to my heart and to the heart of my guest, whose name is Nancy Saxton Lopez. We wrote a book together that's called The Pet Loss Companion Healing Advice from Family Therapists who lead pet loss groups, and I'm going to read a paragraph from the book's opening before introducing Nancy in a more complete way. So this is from the introduction, chapter one. For a combined total of more than three decades, Nancy and I have led support groups for people whose dogs, cats, rabbits, birds, horses, and fish, yes, even fish, have died We've been trusted with stories of love and grief, each one helping us better understand what it means to be a human being, deepening our appreciation for life and the relationships we cherish. 25 years ago, when I was a young therapist, a wise woman told me that we inevitably pay for our love with grief. Inevitably, she said, because all relationships end. She also promised that love proves to be worth its cost every time. We've seen the truth in her words told countless times by people after losing their companion animals, and we wrote this book to share what we've learned. So now let me tell you a little bit about our guest. Nancy Saxton Lopez is a licensed clinical social worker, psychotherapist, speaker, trainer, coach, and management consultant. She's a senior partner at Clinical Services Management, which is a behavioral health consulting and management corporation. And she's been at her business for 30 years, and at the same time, she's maintained a private psychotherapy practice with a wide variety of expertise. She has expertise in bereavement, in adolescent issues, depression, anxiety, relationships, eating disorders, and crisis intervention. Nancy is a graduate of New York University School of Social Work and holds a certificate in family therapy from the New Jersey Center for Family Studies. She's a member of the American Academy of Experts in Traumatic Stress and she has led the Companion Animal Law Support Group at St. Hubert's Giralda, which is a humane welfare and educational organization in Madison, New Jersey, for over 28 years. I had the privilege of leading the group with her for about 12 years, and she is the originator of this group, and she continues to lead it today. She is co-author with me of our book, which I will shamelessly mention again. It's called The Pet Loss Companion, healing advice from family therapists who lead pet loss groups. And you can learn more about Nancy and her business at www.csmpc.com. CSMPC for Clinical Services Management, PC.com. Welcome, Nancy. It's great to have you with us.
2: Thank you so much, Ken. I'm really happy we're doing this and talking about something that is so very dear to us. And I want to
1: start out where I know many, many people get thrown when they lose their animal companion right at the start. And that is that they feel this loss with greater depth of grief than they might have felt the loss of one of their parents or of a dear friend. Let's talk a little bit about why that's so common.
2: Well, you know, it's interesting because even after so many years of uh, facilitating the group, um, almost every time that I'm co- or leading, that someone comes in or maybe more than one person, and they sit there and they look at me or they look at the group and they say, I think I'm crazy. They're whispering because they can't believe the depth of their attachment and their grieving for this companion animal. Um, And we all know that a relationship with an animal is completely different than one with a human. And, of course, we all also know that it's unconditional love and those animals are with us every single day, and they're woven into the tapestry of our lives. Um, they need us to take care of them. They're dependent upon us, but they also make us healthier. Um, so what I tell people, because so many out there don't understand the connection, is that it's the relationship they grieve. It's, it's, it doesn't matter how many legs the being has. It's
1: really the relationship, well, I, I, it's such beautiful words that you use, woven into the tapestry of our lives. I, I love that. and and I, I think that when it comes down to it, we are we are so close. There's a kind of intimacy that is rare in other relationships. Our pets are often the first. The first ones, aside from perhaps our partner, if we're partnered, who we see in the morning, they greet us with enthusiasm. They may be licking our face or pawing at us and waking us up, and we touch them with our hands every day. I feel like that's so important. And we, we do things that that a human being will usually only do with either their infant or another yeah. person who is entirely dependent on them we clip their nails we bathe them when they need it we give them pills and so there's a kind of intimacy there's a kind of depth of of physical emotional spiritual connection you might say because another another part of this is that they never learn they never learn language the way that another human being does. So we are we are we're connected to them through intuition, through reading mm-hmm. what their eyes, what their body movements have to say to us. And that depth of that depth of relationship Connection. is very special indeed.
2: And that's what people can't believe when they all of a sudden don't have that animal there. Um And that's why they come in and say, wow, I think I'm crazy because I can't believe that I can't function. And so that's the purpose of the group, as you know. And I think that that's helped a lot of people understand that what they're feeling is absolutely normal.
1: Yeah, and, and also that it doesn't mean you loved that human being any less. Every relationship is unique. They're different, and it, it doesn't make sense to try to rank them. And it certainly doesn't make sense to add questions that perhaps lead to feelings of guilt about mm-hmm. things like grief that are beyond our ability to logically grasp. And I, I just feel like it's been so important so many times to say, it doesn't mean that you loved your mom or your dad or your sister or your your close friend any less. It's just part of the mystery of human connection, and it's something to, to perhaps notice, but not in any way to judge yourself negatively because of. And I'm sure you exactly. have those kinds of conversations all the time in the meeting, as I did.
2: Exactly. Because they so, they need to have the support, because as you and I know, that um, the world or society does not grieve very well. And we don't grieve very well, at least I don't believe, for our, our human people, say nothing about our animal, pe- uh, animal companions. And so they... They don't know how to react when someone, they, they're they sad and they're upset and they say something about their loss and somebody may have a comment like, well, you can get another one, you know, or, well, you know, um, you'll get over it, it'll be okay. And so part of the the group has been really wonderful is they're all with people who love their animals and who really are, you know, devastated with their death Um, because a lot of times, unfortunately in the world, and and we talk about that in the book too, about how to get your support and what to say to people or what not to say to people because I think, I think in general, people want to be helpful but they don't know what to say and they don't know how to say it or sometimes they don't say anything at all
1: well you're you're saying you're covering a lot of ground and i think that it's it's great (laughs) and i want to just punctuate a few of the things you said one is that we're not good at grieving in our culture and a few years back i read an article and I would, I would regularly state this in the group, during the group, and it said that in our culture, in mainstream American culture, if a person who we know has suffered a major loss, whether it's a pet or a parent or lost their job or lost a very important relationship, that those around them, on average, mm-hmm. will expect – that they will be grieving, that they'll be upset, and and maybe be having a hard time for about three weeks, and then mm-hmm. at the end of that time, if the person is still showing signs of emotional pain, that other person there's in something our culture, wrong with them. no, yeah, there's something wrong with them, and and of course that is so, that is such a small window to expect the grief to resolve. And most people will say that it takes much longer than that. And some people will say, look, it takes going through the seasons. It takes going yeah. through all the milestones of the year, birthdays, the holidays, holidays right. the, the, the anniversary of the loss. All of those kinds of things are, it's very common. It's not essential and it's not always the case and in fact there are some people who after a couple weeks are going to feel more or less like they're in a place that feels less pain they're not going to be back where they started because that's not really the way grief moves we tend to grow as a result of the pain of grief but but we're so unprepared in general and then when when somebody says something like, well, why don't you just get another cat or dog or, or it was only an animal. Can you imagine? And I know we've had these conversations with group. Oh, yeah, can cool. you imagine somebody saying, well, maybe you can get another mother or maybe you can get another brother or maybe you can get another friend? It's It's unthinkable. But also, as you were saying, I do believe that most people not all people but most people operate from a place of good intentions and so when they say such things they're honestly trying to help the person who to whom they're speaking feel better they're not trying to denigrate the way they're feeling they're trying to to help in some way so what do you think i mean what are some of the things that you advise people to say when they get that sort of dismissive comments from another person
2: well there's it depends on the person sometimes people don't want to confront that and they just don't talk to those folks um when a lot of times people in their grief are not going to be too conflictual um however i we can't you know, as coach, people to say, you know, that's really hurtful. You know how important, you know, this relationship was to me, um, and something on that order, maybe, um, and hopefully, and and I do think a lot of people initially at least say, "I'm sorry." I do you think though that people don't like to be in other people's pain? They don't know what to do with that.
1: I, think, I think that they- that's. I think that that's the core reason why we tend to give three weeks. (laughs) I think it's because Mm -hmm. it is so intolerable for most people to be close to another person's pain because if you're going to be empathic, that means you have to at least feel a hint of it yourself. And and that's so hard because I think also – as a mainstream culture, we have separated ourselves from the realities of life and death and from the natural cycles that are all around us. And so we've also created a a sense that death shouldn't happen and that when it does happen, that there's something terrible about that. And And I, I feel like these are all the kinds of things that get in the way of people just being present, emotionally connected to the person who is who is going through a hard time and tolerating tolerating what they're feeling. I also feel like we have a culture that is so denigrating of non-human beings in general treating them as objects as though they, there's this mythology that animals are so different from us that they really are relative to us essentially unfeeling unthinking and that the idea that you have a relationship with them to some people is is sort of beyond imagining
2: yeah that they, they don't understand it i kind of do a like a, a a third law a third of the people don't like animals you know they don't want to really have anything to do with them which is fine you know they're not they're not um you know willing to take care of an animal they they're not interested in an animal they don't like animals um except maybe to that, eat. what was that
1: except maybe to eat
2: I can't, it's like you you went out for some reason. Anyway, so um, can you hear me?
1: Yeah, no, I said except maybe to eat them.
2: Oh, (laughs) yes. Sorry, yes, that's good. (laughs) That's true. Um, Then you have a third of people who have them, but they're not, they're engaged with it. It's okay, but if they had to move or or if something happened, all right, well, we'll just, you know, That'll be it, and then we'll give the animal away to a shelter or whatever, and we'll just go. Um, There was one example. I think I told you this years ago when we started the group at Saint Hubert's, and and um, we were just in the beginning phases of it. And the CEO at the time at Sears, you know, was really happy we were doing, you know, this group. And he said we just had a woman the other day that came in and brought her dog back because the dog didn't match her new furniture.
1: Wow. Wow. That is, I don't remember that story, but I'll sure, (laughs) I surely will remember it now. We are going to need to go to a break. When we come back, let's talk a little bit about the dilemma of having to euthanize your pet and how challenging that can be. Stay with us. We'll be back after a break. Okay.
0: it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Maybe you're putting together an event and need a keynote speaker who makes it comfortable to talk about the most challenging subjects, mental health, race, gender, and workplace violence among them. A speaker who can give detailed how-to guidance based on decades of experience as a corporate executive, human resources professional, and psychotherapist. Or maybe you find yourself getting ready for an important presentation, meeting, or conversation and wish you had an expert advisor to help you prepare. A professional who will help you script what you'll say and plan for what comes next. Ken Dolan Delvecchio is available to speak at your event on workplace or relationship subjects. He's also a trusted advisor, consultant, and coach to business leaders and others. Visit GreenGateLeadership.com to learn more and get in touch. That's GreenGateLeadership.com. As a business professional, you know there is no greater challenge than keeping the people around you focused, engaged, and productive. We all have situations in our lives that rob us of our most important resource, attention, the key to dealing with the distractions and still being our best is resilience. We can't always avoid challenging situations, but we can make sure we bounce back. FEI, the Workforce Resilience Expert, is the leader in helping your workforce be their best selves. We have a range of services to strengthen well being, enhance culture, empower safety, and manage crisis. From the most personal problems to crises on a global scale, our experience can help you meet any challenge. If you're working to keep your workforce focused, engaged, and productive, contact FEI Workforce Resilience at 1-800-987-1948 or visit feinet.com. FEI, the workforce resilience experts. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voiceamerica. You are listening to Work Life Confidential. It's time to hear your voice. Call into our program today at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to Ken at GreenGateLeadership.com. Now, back to Work Life Confidential. Here again is Ken Dolan Delvecchio.
1: Welcome back. I'm talking with my friend and co-author, Nancy Saxton Lopez, about pet loss and grief and healing. And Nancy, let's talk a little bit about euthanasia. When we have a pet who is suffering, who is struggling, their life is coming to a close, it can be so challenging for Mm -hmm. the guardian to make the decision to end They're suffering what are some of the what are some of the ways that people have struggled with this in your experience
2: well i'm you know it's very rare over the i don't know 28 years that you know and then you were doing a lot of that group work with me over a period of time that people came in and did not feel guilty Mm -hmm. um They felt that they were playing God. They felt that, you know, their animal's life was in their hand and they they were the ones that were killing the animal. They felt that either the animal was suffering and they waited too long, or they felt the animal could have gotten other treatment and they did it too quickly. It's a bind,
1: right? It's either way. Either way, there's pain.
2: Yeah. And the guilt, and the guilt is the hardest. We know this. The guilt is the hardest, and it takes a longer period of time to work through because of that, them blaming themselves. Now, you and I have talked a lot about this and worked with the youth people. Um, There was a, Susan Cullen, who used to to be the social worker at the Animal Medical Center, um, said this beautifully, you... Did not kill your animal. The disease did or is, and you have the ability to look at their quality of life and to make a decision for them
1: to, to end their suffering. Is the language? Yes. Yeah. To end their suffering, not their life.
2: Right. Correct. And I think that helps people. They still struggle with it. There's been a handful of people that, you know, were okay with, with the decision to do that. Many of them would wish their animal would die. But that also can be very traumatic, you know, to sit and wait for that, um, especially during that process of death. So no matter what, it's really hard um, And that is a big question at or a big topic at every group, and about who euthanized, how did it work, how did you feel, what was going on, um, and the guilt that comes around it. So, and we can't take away people's guilt, but we can also talk to them about hopefully someday, you know, you will be able to work through this. Um, because they were suffering and they weren't getting better. And there is a quality of life scale, I think, that people can use. I actually pulled it up for the program here. Um, Doc, Do you know this one? You probably know it from your vet, probably has it. Um, Dr. Villa Lobos' quality of life scale for pets. Um, V-I-L-L-A-L-O-B-O-S. and it has to do, it's very simple, hurt, hunger, hydration, hygiene, happiness, mobility, and if they have more, good days than bad days. So that is, is really an important thing for, for the guardian to kind of take a look at. If the animal can, cannot, you know, is not defecating or urinating outside, if there's vomiting, if there are seizures, if there's lethargy, if they don't want to eat, um, all of those kind of things can be looked at. Um, however, it still, unfortunately, it still does not take away the guilt. Um, when they have to make that decision, and then they make it, and then the animal dies. But it, we're, we yeah, work with it every day.
1: You, yeah, and I think that that's so important that there's an evaluation of is the is the pleasure of living no longer there? Is it overridden more or less totally by the pain of suffering, and and will you? will you then help end the suffering? And I think it's also important, even if you don't have access to the instrument that that Nancy's mentioning, that you, if at all possible, make the decision collaboratively. So you're talking it over with your vet, you're talking it over with another person who you love and respect, so that you, you, you don't make the decision in a vacuum and that way you you've got support in doing so i think that that can be very helpful and and i know that it's a process in fact my son and his wife have an elderly cat who they are making they are regularly having to decide is it time is it time the cat has a cancerous tumor he seems to be doing fine. he gets treatments, he gets cortisone shots, and they revive him and he seems to be doing fine for quite a while and then he'll have a slump and they'll need to bring him to the vet but they're they're in conversation between the two of them and their vet in a way that they they all they have support. Eric and Christina have support with this decision mm-hmm. and they're talking with with their parents, they're talking with their friends, so it's not it's not like they're making the decision in isolation. I think that can help as well.
2: Yes. Yeah. Yes, I agree.
1: So, Nancy, let's um, talk a little bit about just the normal process of Grieving, I'm and I grieving. say normal because there's a huge range of what's normal. The first point that we might want to make is that there isn't really a normal. It's kind of no, whatever is normal for innate. you. But maybe you can talk a little bit about what it what it tends to look like.
2: Yeah, and you know, a lot of times in the group, people come in and they and they're very emotional. Um, they're distraught. Um, but they don't understand what's going to happen, um, and so I talk about it's pro- grieving is a process, it's not an event. It takes a period of time. We alluded to that last segment, um, and in the beginning, you're overwhelmed. And you're cognitively, you're off. Uh, emotionally, you're off. Physically, you're off. Behaviors can change, and that's not untypical for any grieving. But when you're not supported with it, it magnifies it. So what we talk about is, in the beginning, it's overwhelming. There's like It's like ebbs and flows, but the, the waves are very intense, and they're very frequent. Um, so a lot of people, can't, you can't really function very well. Um, but as time goes by, and depending on the person, it's always unique, and everyone grieves differently. Um, as time goes by, those waves are not quite as intense. And they're further apart. Now, that doesn't mean that in a few months you might not get hit again because, you know, a song comes on or, you know, you see your favorite place where you last walk your dog or whatever that might be uh, or the birthday or a holiday. It'll, it'll happen again but i think it's helpful to explain to people how that is because no matter you don't love it nobody likes to be in this kind of pain but at least there's an understanding that it comes and it goes and you may have a lot of different feelings at one time and then all of a sudden you they're gone and then you say okay and then you crash again
1: so i, I just and and i and I, I just want to also jump in and say there used to be this This model, and it's a very helpful model from Elizabeth Kubler Ross. So, the idea that when there's a major change or a loss, we tend to deny, we tend to be numb, and we're in that period of being overwhelmed, almost paralyzed, and then we shift into sadness, and then we move into anger, and then we bargain, mm. we try to we try to recreate the feeling of the world as it was before the loss, and then we come ultimately to acceptance. And while it's a good framework, it's important to note as you're describing that it isn't circular like that it's just a big mess it is bouncing back and forth among all of those and that also there is confusion there's uncertainty there may be sleep problems there may be eating problems all of these physical you may have the kinds of pains and aches that are common to you we all have our own stress profile so I get migraines and back pain somebody else may get right. more stomach problems or ankle problems or whatever and all of that is normal that w- the one thing we yes. don't want to do is layer on top of that what's wrong with me I'm weak I am
2: no
1: I am not that I don't I don't have the usual strength that other people have, all those kinds of and we we just want to allow and be gentle with ourselves right mm-hmm.
2: and not and not make any major decisions yep.
1: um
2: you know be kind, and it's really hard when you're grieving to take care of yourself, but that's the best thing you can do. um you want to make sure that you try to eat and you try to eat well and you try to get your rest. Um, and so nutrition is important, and rest is important, and exercise is important. It's it's really hard to do, um, but that's the suggestion. But especially what you said, Ken, is resonating. Just be gentle with yourself. You know, this the process of grieving is normal. It doesn't feel good, but it's normal.
1: Yep, and and I I also think it's important to. To to say to people, you will always hold this loss. It Mm -hmm. isn't like you're going to forget it. It isn't that you're going to come to the same place you were before the loss happened. That's not what life is. We go through all kinds of losses as we're growing and developing. And each of them is painful and challenging. But it also gives us wisdom. And and that's a very, yeah. that's the kind of thing that you, we don't say in the beginning of people's grief much, but it's something that we gain over time. Yeah. And it's uh, all of the pets who I've lost live in my heart. I can remember the loss. They visit with the, the loss is something that comes to mind periodically. Mm-hmm. It has a softer, it has a softer pull. It doesn't make me despairing. But it still, it still is is not without some pain and and negative feelings. That's the way all losses are, right? We don't come back to normal. We come to a new place that's more a new place. New, it's more flexible, more wise, hopefully.
2: I also talk about a transition. So I'll say a transition from being able to hold and to kiss and to be with to your heart forever. So that right now when they're when they sit there and they're grieving and they're and they're distraught and crying and and, and upset, of course you can't touch them anymore. You can't kiss them. Yep. You can't get up and walk with them. But that transition happens like you said because you will never forget them.
1: And I want to now go to a question. We got a question, does it help to get another pet as your pet ages? To help with the ultimate loss and I'm gonna give my response to that okay. first off I think it's really individual and I can tell you that that's one of my strategies I stagger my pets I have, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. I, have I have two dogs and three cats and two aging huge rabbits and a bunch of chickens and it's important for me to have a number of these kinds of relationships. But that isn't the case for everybody. And also, it's so important to know a couple of things. One is that when you lose one pet, the others don't fill in the void. You still have the loss. Yeah. Right. And the other thing is that those other pets, if they were close in the household, let's, they're going to grieve too. T- talk about what that looks like.
2: You know, I, I will say, and, and I, and I want to respond to the question mm-hmm. because um, the, what my suggestion would be, it depends on how old the, the original, the, the pet that's there is now and, how, and if they are sick. Because, and then it depends on what kind of what kind of animal you're thinking of getting. Getting because if it's like a kitten or a puppy, would be much different for an elderly dog than maybe a, a, a older dog or cat. However, I I'm not sure what a demarcation line is for that. <laughs> My first adult pug, Tashi, we got Noel when she was nine, and we were thinking of this. <laughs> you know what's going to happen. Now, Tashi lived another few years. I think she may have lived longer, but the problem was she got an illness and she died. Um, I'm not sure that had anything to do with Noel, but I will say this: Noel was quite out of her mind when Tashi died, because she used to follow her everywhere, and she would go out in the backyard and just sit. She didn't know what to do. And it took.: a You period could see of her, her grieving, too. Yeah, you could, you, could, you could see it and you could feel it in her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she'd just go out and she was looking around and she'd just sit down because she had followed Tashi all around. And so, yes, animals do grieve, um, especially if they've been you know, with each other for a long period of time or even, well, some period of time.
1: And I, oh. I, I just want to emphasize what a point that you said earlier that you want to be considerate because if, if your existing pet is elderly or crotchety and mood, <laughs> yeah. you may not really? want to impose another pet on them because you have to consider them as well. And I, I also just want to add that there... A point that may be connected to this: Some people feel like if they rush out and get another pet, it will it will fill the hole, the void that's left, or
2: or, or it will betray the other one. Well, yeah,
1: absolutely. So, and it's important to just give yourself the time to make that decision thoughtfully. It you can always <laughs> you can always put time in place but if you go ahead and get another pet too <laughs> soon that can that can be a situation that's not the most comfortable for you or for your new animal companion either we're going to take okay, another okay. break okay. and when we come back we're going to talk some about how to help our children with the loss of their beloved pet stay with us
0: From the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. As a business professional, you know there is no greater challenge than keeping the people around you focused, engaged, and productive. We all have situations in our lives that rob us of our most important resource, attention. The key to dealing with the distractions and still being our best is resilience. We can't always avoid challenging situations, but we can make sure we bounce back. F-E-I. The Workforce Resilience Expert is the leader in helping your workforce be their best selves. We have a range of services to strengthen well-being, enhance culture, empower safety, and manage crisis, from the most personal problems to crises on a global scale. Our experience can help you meet any challenge. If you're working to keep your workforce focused, engaged, and productive, contact FEI Workforce Resilience at 1-800- or visit FEINet.com FEI, the Workforce Resilience Experts Maybe you're putting together an event and need a keynote speaker who makes it comfortable to talk about the most challenging subjects mental health, race, gender and workplace violence among them A speaker who can give detailed how-to guidance based on decades of experience as a corporate executive, human resources professional, and psychotherapist. Or maybe you find yourself getting ready for an important presentation, meeting, or conversation and wish you had an expert advisor to help you prepare. A professional who will help you script what you'll say and plan for what comes next. Ken Dolan Delvecchio is available to speak at your event on workplace or relationship subjects. He's also a trusted advisor, consultant, and coach to business leaders and others. Visit GreenGateLeadership.com to learn more and get in touch. That's GreenGateLeadership.com. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to Work Life Confidential. It's time to hear your voice. Call into our program today at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to Ken at GreenGateLeadership.com. Now, back to Work Life Confidential. Here again is Ken Dolan Delvecchio.
1: Welcome back. I'm speaking with my friend and co-author, Nancy Saxton Lopez. And we were just chatting about how time just flies. There's so much that we could cover, but the time is short. So we want to remind people about our book, The Pet Loss Companion, Healing Advice from Family Therapists Who Lead Pet Loss Groups, which is available on Amazon. and. A lot of what we're, well, all of what we're covering today is in the book. The book is drawn from our experiences in facilitating pet loss support groups over the course of many, many years. Nancy's been doing it for 28 years. I did it for about 12 of, of those years. And so this is wisdom that comes from the experience of, of people who came and offered one another support. And we wanted to talk now a bit about how we can help our kids with the loss of their beloved pet and also i would just broaden that and say with loss in general and one of the first things that i want to just throw out there is it may be the case that you would want to help your child avoid facing loss Mm -hmm. and it's it's a bad idea Mm -hmm. loss is part of life Got lots of stories about parents who try to do that, and it catches up eventually. And it it can be the kind of thing where the child, when they learn, feels betrayed and feels disrespected. But Nancy, why don't you talk a little bit about some of the ways, some of the healthy ways to help our kids work through loss?
2: Well, I will say this, um, which is super important, because we don't really see a lot of kids in the group. We we never really have. Um, and parents are the role models for grieving for their children. They're not going to learn about um, the emotions around a loss or a death or an ending um, very easily except through um, their experience, especially with parents. Um, And what parents like to do, and we understand that, Ken just alluded to it, is that we want to protect them from pain. And the problem is that there is a lot, there is some pain in life in many different ways. Um, And death is one, I mean, loss of a job, moving, friendships lost, you know, uh, other kinds of, you know, falling outs or whatever it might be. Um, And so it's important to remember that you are the role model. Um, Now, that said, if you cry, that's okay. It's all right to have an emotion around, um, you know, the death of of your animal um, or a human. Um, So it's important to also understand the age. I mean, there are age uh, variations in how kids look at death or know about death. Um, and kids can, I mean, little kids run around. They can say, oh, you know, um, Rocky's not here anymore. Um, where's Rocky? And, and you could do a picture, but then they go play and they come back. But after, I think, Ken, right is about eight or nine years old, they really have a concept of the finality of death, if I'm not mistaken.
1: It begins to, yeah, Before before five or six, it's almost like you have to get very concrete and say... Rocky doesn't can't move anymore. Rocky is is not able to eat anymore. He's no longer able to be with us. You have to lay out the the very specific observable ways that that death shows itself and and you have to say it over and over and over again because there's not the sense of permanence. Right. And and, and then, yes, as a child grows into their middle grammar school years, they're going to start being able to hang on to the, the permanence of, of loss. And so it, it, becomes, it becomes more graspable in the same way that we do. But it is important to realize that even with adults, we, we are going to at times regress when we have yeah. a major loss. And so sure. it, all of this is fluid. All of it is flexible. Teenagers are, are pretty much adults in terms of their ability to hold on to constancy, that once the loss has happened, it's, it's, it's there and it's not going to change. What are some things that... I'm sorry.
2: Oh, no, I think it's important for as the kids get older to have them involved in what's going on with, with the animal. What's the process? Go to the vet with them, and especially around a euthanasia decision. Mm-hmm. Um, and they can be present. The older kids, I mean, parents may not want younger kids present, but certainly older kids can be present because then they have the support around them and the family goes through it together. Yeah. Um, the one thing you don't want to do is sweep the animal away <laughs> And this happened, can to someone we know when well, we worked at Morristown, uh, sweeped, you know, the dog away, and the kids go, where, where was, where's the dog? Oh, the dog went to the farm. We, You know, wanted him to get, you know, out, out to the farm where he could run around and all that stuff. Well, as an adult, this woman found out that, no, the dog yep. was euthanized.
1: And then and how do you feel? How do you feel? I mean, how do they feel pissed. about that? Yeah, yeah they feel how betrayed. They feel away? dismissed. I got to tell you, Nancy, and this is one of the stories in the book, and it's about a, a human being. I counseled a couple who they, one of their parents had died, grandmother for their children had died. And they told me that they were going to tell their kids that their grandma had just taken a worldwide cruise and she was going to be gone for about a year. And and I remember saying to them, what are you going to tell them at the end of that year? And they said, well, think up something else. And I said, so you'd rather have them believe that their beloved grandmother, who they see every other week, because she lived she lived in Westchester, and the family lived in New Jersey, so it wasn't terribly far, and they saw each other regularly. I said, you'd rather have them believe that she abandoned them without saying goodbye mm-hmm. than that she died. And and the, I think in some ways this comes down to what we were talking about before, which is no, nobody wants to be present with another person who's feeling deep pain, and least oh, no. of all our child.
2: <laughs> right, our child. Exactly. And the, yet, the instinct is to protect. Yeah, and, but the and problem yet with that that's and they don't grow up with that. They don't know how to deal with it.
1: Exactly, and that's and yet the challenge is that that's part of what it means to be a parent. Just as you were saying, it's to be the role model and to be present and to confront challenging things. I remember my son Eric was about eight or nine, I believe, when his new, fairly new kitten, Willie, died. Willie died very, very suddenly. And his mom and I sat with him and we talked to him about it. We showed him Willie, who we'd brought back from the vet. We had rushed him to the vet that evening and they tried to save him during the night and he died so we went and got him and brought him back and we talked with Eric, he pet him we talked together about how to say goodbye we each wrote cards to him and then we buried him Buried him outside, yeah. and Eric's card was so moving. He said, Willie, I will love you. Uh, you're my, we were one of my best friends. I wish we could have been friends for longer. I mean, we were all distraught. <laughs> we were all in tears. Of course. And, and the thing about it was he understood through that experience that it's okay, just as you were saying, to be in tears, to be very upset. Because that's what human beings have to go through now. If you were if we were totally stoic and we pretended that we were just a okay with the fact that we were burying Willie, how would he feel he'd feel alone? He'd feel that's like right. he's like there's something wrong with him that he feels so upset. We don't want to get that's right want to be on the floor screaming and yelling and pounding our fists and, and losing all control because that would be very scary to our kids. But we also don't want to be a nice person in the presence That's of our exactly child. We,
2: right.
1: right, we want to role model what is reasonable and healthy and and pretty much the norm for human beings who have suffered the loss of, of a beloved pet or a beloved family member. And like you said, if you try to deny it, the, it's going to catch up. Eventually, it's going to catch up.
2: It will. That's. So, and that's going to be much more difficult for that person to be able to work through those things. And so what you said makes, a, makes so much sense because a child who all of a sudden, they're, they're connected to this animal and mom and dad aren't really you know, talking too much about it, showing any kind of feeling. The question is, is that going to be the way they're going to feel when I die, if I die?
1: Yep, even more. That's a and- really important
2: point even yeah. more
1: so does this mean that this this is all they'd feel if we were to lose if i were to go or if grandma to, were to go no that's the, the, they, going back to the point at the very beginning of this conversation love grief is the cost of having loved and yeah. and and it's worth it it's worth it i want to ask you for one final point that you want to leave people with in just like 30 seconds
2: It's okay to grieve however you grieve, and the time frame, it's going to take, unfortunately, longer than we would like, but that signifies the amazing and connecting and wonderful relationship that you had with your animal, or in fact, anyone. But we're talking about pet loss and how special that relationship is. And whatever, however you grieve, it's, it's important to do it.
1: Wonderful. Thank you so much. Nancy Saxton Lopez, co-author of The Pet Loss Companion. I'm going to leave us with another little reading from the book. This is the end of the book, and it's, it's me talking about leaving one of our groups. Leaving here brings completion as well as continuity. Much has been shared, and the healing will continue through more of the same. I never feel alone on my 10-minute drive home. Having spent such a time with these people, it's almost as though they ride along with me. Their words repeat in my thoughts messages of love and pain that make me consider my own pets and what they mean to me. I think of Abigail and Isabel, the little dogs who will greet me excitedly when I open the front door a few moments from now. I'll pat their fuzzy warm heads and tickle behind their ears. Our touch will bring me a, new, a renewed sense of appreciation. All that happened in the meeting highlights the preciousness of these friends and the brevity of our time together. And I think of Reggie, Phoebe, Lily, and my other departed pets. The people with whom I shared the evening demonstrated for me, once again, the miracle of grief. For there was a time following the loss of each of these pets when thoughts of them would bring only searing pain. I reflect on how grief eventually turns heartache into gratitude. Nancy and I have been asked many times if the worst pain of grief will ever end. We can answer with certainty that it will. One day, you will recall your lost pet and smile. Your grief, which may still feel raw as I read these words, will eventually lead you to that moment. Your pain will grow ever smaller, but the love you feel for your pet will be yours to keep. Thanks so much for joining us. Fred Rogers said, if it's mentionable, it's manageable. My wish is that together we'll continue to break silences, to talk about important stuff that goes unsaid or isn't talked about enough, and find solutions together where necessary. Join us next week when we'll be talking about so-called soft skills. Our show's title will be Soft Skills? I don't think so. I'm Ken Mm -hmm. Dolan Delvecchio, and you've been listening to Work Life Confidential. I'd like to thank Nancy Saxton Lopez once again and thank our executive producer, Randall Libero, and our engineer, Josh. And thank you so much for being with us. We'll look forward to our next conversation.
0: Thank you for listening to Work Life Confidential with Ken Dolan Delvecchio. We hope you've taken a bit of wisdom from today's program that will help you at work and home. Be sure to join us again next Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel and have an outstanding week.